Good morning. Today I'm going to speak on the controversial subject, and that is entitled Law or Grace. The question arises, and uh, that is what we want to talk about, does grace take the place of law? Well, the answer is yes and also no. You might wonder, well, how can you answer this way? Does it take place of law or does it not? Well, that depends on what law we talk about. If we talk about the Ten Commandment law, the answer is no. If we talk about the statutes, the law that uh, is not the Ten Commandments and is also not for remedy of sin, then the answer is no. However, if we talk about the added law, the law of Moses, it gives us a different perspective. And of course, then the answer is yes. Let me read us a few verses out of Galatians, the third chapter. I'm going to read verse 16 through 19. Not all of this is uh, actually uh, necessary for what I want to bring to our attention, but let's read all of these verses. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it is ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. All right, here we find that there was a law added 430 years after the promise was made to Abraham. However, this was not the law or the laws that we read of that Abraham kept in Genesis 26, verse 5. This was a law that came about much later. And therefore, 
when I am asked the question, Does grace take the place of law? I would have to determine which law before I could say yes. And I would have to determine which law before I could say no. And that is why I say it does take the place of law. And I say it does not take the place of law. In other words, depending upon what law we talk about. We are going to come back to this scripture a little later. I want to deal with grace for a little bit and uh, bring to our attention some of the things that uh, brought about grace. While it is true that in Ephesians and the second chapter and verse 5 as well as verse 8, or should I reverse this and say in verse 8, and it also mentions this in verse 5. However, in the fifth verse, part of it is in parenthesis, which could mean that it was added by the writer and uh, that it was not in the true text of the word. In the 8th verse it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now then, what it actually tells us here is that it is uh, grace that gives us salvation. It uh, does that by faith in Christ Jesus. And so we have to correlate this again with the scripture that we find in Galatians, the third chapter, where it says that the law was added because of transgression till the seed should come. And of course, the law that was added was to remedy for transgression. And here we find that our transgressions are remedied by grace. That does not take away the fact that there is a law to transgress. If there is no law to transgress, grace is not needed. There is no need to extend forgiveness of sin where there is no sin, and grace is the extension uh, by someone to forgive our sins without us having to pay the penalty ourselves. And so, as it says here, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Faith in what? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we read before and after. And that not of yourselves. In other words, we cannot pay the penalty any other way but to accept the gift, it is the gift of God, to accept the gift that God gave, and that gift was the Lord Jesus Christ that came into this world and gave himself for us and uh, became the propitiation for us to remedy us from transgression. What is Grace. 
According to my dictionaries, there are many definitions. However, I picked the one that seemingly, or ones that seemingly, um, answer the question best. And one of them says, grace is a favor. Number two, a great, a grant of immunity. And so I asked the immunity from what? The immunity from transgression. Transgression of what? Transgression of grace? No, the transgression of the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. So we are told in 1 John, the third chapter, in the fourth verse, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And then, of course, uh, when we have transgressed, something has to be done to remedy for that transgression. I'm going to go back to Leviticus, the fourth chapter, and I'm going to use this for an example of uh, law and grace. <clears throat> In Leviticus, the fourth chapter, and beginning to read with the 27th verse through the end of the chapter. Now, I'm not going to read all of these verses. I'll read verse 27 and 28 for the sake of time, uh, but I'm going to refer to some of the other things in this, uh, these verses. The 27th verse says, And if any one of the common people sin through ignorance, or let me add my own words, if someone does transgress uh, ignorantly, while he doeth somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done and be guilty. Now we note in this verse that it mentions a transgression against the commandments of the Lord. I presume, and I think I presume right, that this means the Ten Commandments. There are other commandments which we can transgress that are not part of the Ten Commandments. And I do believe that the transgression against those things is just as valid or just as terrible as those against the Ten Commandments. Now in verse 28, Or if his sin which he hath sinned come to his knowledge, or if for instance, a man has done something, and eventually he learns that it was wrong, that it was a sin. Then he shall bring his offering, a kit of the goats, a female without blemish, for his sin which he hath sinned. You see, what we have here are two laws. The law of righteousness or shall I call them the commandments, the Ten Commandments, 
and then the law of remedy for the transgression of those commandments. Now this was set forth 430 years after. After what? 430 years Israel was in the land of Egypt. And of course, if we go back to Galatians, the third chapter, we find that uh, it speaks of the promise that was made to Abraham or the covenant that was made with Abraham, confirmed with him, uh, that the law that was added 430 years after did not disannul or do away the promises that were made to Abraham, but the law was to last only until Christ came. Now, when we go to Leviticus, the fourth chapter, we find here that the Ten Commandments were here, but there was a law enacted through Moses, which we call the law of Moses, that if any man transgressed, he had to bring a kid of the goats, a female without blemish for his sin, which he hath sinned. And it goes on to say, and he shall lay his hands upon the head of the sin offering and slay the sin offering in the place of the burned offering. And the priest shall take of the blood thereof with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of the burned offering and shall pour out all the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar. And so as we go on through the rest of Leviticus, the fourth chapter, from the 29th verse through the 35th verse, we find here the administration of the man that had committed sin against the commandments and the administration that the priest was obligated to do to atone for the sins of that man. In the 31st verse, it uh, says, And the priest shall make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. This was the law that was added. And so all the people came under this law. Now then, in Christ, if a man, a common people, find that he sinned through ignorance while he doeth somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done and be guilty, or if his sins which he hath sinned come to his knowledge, then he shall bring his offering, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, accept him as the Savior, the seed that was to come to take upon himself the law that was added because of transgression, and through the acceptance by faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the remedy of that transgression, or we are, we are relieved of that transgression, and that is grace, because Christ did not sin, he was not obligated to make the payment, but he made it anyway, took it upon himself, and did the will of the Father, who was also willing that Jesus should die for our sins, 
And because of that, he paid the penalty and took the added law upon himself and extends to us the gift of God, the grace of immunity from the transgression that we had committed against one of the commandments. Not hard to see when we put each thing in its perspective. Now, I'm going to go back a little bit further, and I'm going to read several scriptures. First, I want to read from Genesis 21, and here it tells us in the fifth verse, because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Abraham kept commandments, he kept statutes, and he kept laws. Now the promise that was made to Abraham that we read of in Galatians, uh, the uh, third chapter, verse 16 and on, that the law that was added should not disannul the covenant that was made to him, but would only stand for a time being until the seed should come. And in the 16th verse, it tells us that Christ was that seed. Abraham <coughs> received this covenant approximately 200 years or so before Israel went into Egypt. I have a chronology chart here, and just exactly how true it is for years, I have not tried to figure out. But it's fairly close. It tells me that Abraham died 100 or approximately 115 years before Israel went into Egypt. Israel were in Egypt, so most everybody believes. They were there 430 years. And if they were there 430 years, and they came out of Egypt after that, and came to Mount Zinai, where Moses went up into the mount to receive the commandments and laws from the Lord, we find that Abraham kept commandments and statutes, if you add the 115 years to the 430 years, you have 545 years before Mount Zanii. Now, that is why I cannot let anybody tell me that there were no laws until Moses received them on Mount Zanii, and that all the law that was given was the law of Moses. Abraham kept commandments. He kept statutes, and he kept laws. The commandments are one law, and I believe the Ten Commandments. The statutes were another law, and I believe the other laws to be marriage laws, tithing laws, 
love clean and unclean, and possibly some other things that ex exist in the book of Genesis and uh, were not added in the book of uh, Exodus, Genesis, uh, pardon me, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so Abraham kept these laws and they existed. Now let me go a little bit further. In Deuteronomy and in the fifth chapter, someone will come along and say, well, I've heard this so many times, but I don't agree with me. Give me a better answer. And we will settle for a better answer. But this says in Deuteronomy 5, verse 31, But as for thee, stand thou here by me, and I will speak unto thee all the commandments, the same ones that Abraham kept, and the statutes, the same ones that Abraham kept, and the judgments. Abraham kept laws. Why does he pronounce judgments here? Because the laws of faith that Abraham kept for the remedy of sin and what else? Turned to be judgments against Israel by the added law of Moses, which was added 430 years after, which thou shalt teach them that they may do them in the land which I give them to possess it. In the sixth chapter again, and the first verse, and then in the seventh chapter and the eleventh verse, we again find commandments and the statutes and the judgments. And the reason that the laws that Abraham kept other than the commandments and the statutes in Genesis 26, 5, became judgments is because of the things that were added 430 years, which is the law of Moses, and today is that which Christ took upon himself and extends to us the free merited gift, which is the grace to remedy us from the transgression of the commandments, the statutes, and other commands that might have been given by God or by the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that this makes a lot of sense if we use a little logic with it and put everything in its perspective. We find that Abraham kept commandments, we find that Deuteronomy 5, verse 31, that God gave to Moses the commandments. And we find that Abraham kept statutes, and we find that God reiterated to Moses the statutes, or should I say through Moses, the statutes. And we find further that there was the remedy for the transgression of sins, which is called in the Levitical system because of the added law of Moses as judgment. And when Christ died on the cross, the added law of Moses vanished. And we fall back to commandments and statutes and laws as Abraham kept 
in the Melchizedek system as is recorded in, Le in Genesis 26, verse 5. All right, then. Let me add another verse or two to that which I have to say. If you turn with me now to Ephesians and the second chapter, and I would like to read verse 15. And it says, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Okay, let me stop here a minute. Christ, in other words, if we read before, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, and uh, he made, uh, for he is our peace, and so forth. Took away the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Now, when we talk about ordinances in a general language, we talk about laws, the city ordinances, for instance. However, here we have a law that was added that had ordinances within it. Let me read a text uh, to that effect. Turn with me to Joshua. And there I would like to read from the 8th chapter, beginning with verse 30 through the 32nd verse. Then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones, over which no man hath lifted up any iron, and they offered thereon burned offerings unto the Lord, and sacrificed peace offerings. And he rolled there upon the stones. Now I want us to note that this is plural and not singular when I say stones. He wrote there upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. Now, what he wrote on those stones, if we had the time to go into details, is the order of sacrifice, the ordinance, and how to perform the, uh, uh, the various sacrifices to do as it was said over here in Ephesians, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so it would make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. In other words, the law of Moses, the commandments, ten commandments, the statutes were not the law of Moses. They existed from the time of creation, and God gave them to uh, Adam as well as to any of the others. 
and down through the line. And Israel, of course, received them again on Mount Sinai because they had been in bondage and wandered about for 430 years in idolatry. And so God had to reiterate to them the laws that existed. And one of them, of course, that was added was the law of Moses, the law that was written on the whole stones. Not the tables of stone, but the whole stones upon which man had not lifted any iron or any tool to make smooth or to uh, uh, cut out other than to engrave there the order of the law. Having abolished in his flesh, Jesus in his flesh took upon himself this added law of Moses. All right, let's go to Colossians. Someone says, well, I know these scriptures. All right, I hope you do and uh, that you know them well. But let's turn to Colossians, the second chapter, verse 14 and on blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Actually, stop and think seriously. What was against us? The commandments? No. They tell us what to do and what not to do. And sure, if I want to commit adultery, then it's against me because it says, thou shalt not. If I want to steal, it says, thou shalt not. The statutes, are they against us? No, they are good for us. There is no ordinance connected in the commandments, nor is there an ordinance connected to the statutes. The ordinance was connected with the law of Moses that it described within the law how to exercise that law. All right, here in Colossians, it says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Christ triumphed in, over them while he was in it. In other words, Christ was under the law, he was subject to the law of Moses when he lived here on this earth, the same as you and I, or the same as the Israelites were. You and I are not because we come under the law that Moses, or oh, pardon me, that Abraham was under. All right. He triumphed over them. He took them upon himself. Therefore, he says, let no man therefore judge you in meat, in food, in other words, or uh, unleavened bread, or in drink, the drink of the holy days, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. Now I want us to know that this again is plural and does not speak of the seventh day Sabbath, but the Sabbaths of the feasts, 
the ordinances that describes how to exercise the various orders of the feasts, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility. And worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which... Uh, he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and hands having nourishment, ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? already mentioned that the ordinances are the law of Moses. The other laws of God had no ordinances. They had no drinks. They had no meats. They didn't have to eat unleavened bread for seven days. They didn't have to eat the bitter herbs, or they didn't have to use the various things that were incorporated into the law that made it a law full of rules or regulations or ordinances. Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. In other words, what Paul is telling the Colossians here, that they should not go back into the law of Moses of doing the various feasts, that they were under grace that Christ, Christ became that law. He took it upon himself, and he is that law. And now if you have transgressed one of the commandments, then go to Christ. He extends grace to remedy you from the transgression. All right. Let me go a little bit further. Let me turn for a moment just for a moment, to Romans, the third chapter, and the 20th verse. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his side. Someone will say, well, you don't have to keep the law because you're saved by grace. What law? If you read the book of Romans, it is full of different kinds of laws. The law of faith, the Ten Commandment Law, the Law of Remedy, and so on and so forth. For by the law is the knowledge of sin, not the doing away of sin. In the fourth chapter and in the fifteenth verse, because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. So the law worketh wrath. But you see, where no law is, there is no transgression. You can't transgress something that does not exist. If something has to exist before you can transgress. How are you going to transgress grace? Grace is the unmerited favor extended for the remedy and not 
command. Oh, yes, I know there are those that will say, well, read, read First John, the third chapter, and uh, uh, here it tells us, the eighth verse and on, he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Okay, let me also read the next verse before I make a comment. In this the children of God are manifested, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And you know there is so much stressed on love. And it beats around and they beat around the bush and they say you love your brother, you love your enemy, you love this and you love that, but they don't know the definition of love. In First John 5, verse 2 and 3, it tells us, for this is the love of God that you keep his commandments. Let me read this in reverse. If you don't keep his commandments, you have no evidence that you love God. That's what it tells us. But here it tells us in the uh, earlier verses that I wanted to comment on. Whosoever is born of God, verse 9, doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So someone comes along and says, well, I can do anything I please. I cannot sin. I belong to God. I had an experience several years ago with a man by the name of Purdue. He was a Baptist minister. He wrote to our publishing house for literature, and the publishing house mailed me his address and uh, uh, put a little note to it saying that this man evidently is interested Therefore, you should go and visit him. And he only lived within about a mile and a half or two from where I lived. The name Purdue registered with me right away, but it did not tell me exactly who the man was until I got to his home and I had met him before. And he contended that once you were under grace, you were always in grace. Because this verse said... You cannot sin. He meant to say that, and he told me, that the difference of understanding is, he thought I did not understand, and he said, I mean that if you and I went out here and we performed a robbery, and you shot one man and I shot the other, you believe that because you shot a man, you committed murder and you are lost unless you repent. I believe that I'm under grace and it makes no difference what I do. I cannot sin. Well, that's not where what this actually says. This tells us that 
If you sin, you're no longer under grace. So therefore, you better not sin. This simply tells us that you cannot commit sin because if you do commit sin, you fall from grace. Let me read it to you. Turn with me to Galatians, the fifth chapter, and I would like to read verses 1 through 4. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. What law? The law of Moses. And I'm going to read it in another scripture in just a moment. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. I thought once under grace you couldn't sin. This would contradict First John 3 where it tells us, they that are born of God cannot commit sin. They will not because if they do, they are no longer under grace. And so they better refrain from sin rather than to commit sin and fall from grace. All right, there is another scripture or two that I will have to add and I will have to hurry along because it's getting too long. In Hebrews, the second chapter, and I would like to read the ninth verse. But ye see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man, so that man would not have to die the second death. Jesus paid the penalty. Let me turn now to the ninth chapter, and I would like to read verses 11 through 14. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, where that they sacrifice bulls and goats and, and uh, heifers and so forth in the law of Moses. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, perch your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, if you read these verses and you connect them with what I brought to our attention even before, in Leviticus, the fourth chapter, if any man sin against one of the commandments, then came the added law, the law of Moses, that was to last until the seed should come, according to Galatians 3, verse 16 through 19, was added because of transgression. 
we find that this tells us that the bulls and the goats and the blood thereof was no longer able, no longer able to cover our sins. But the blood of Christ took that upon himself. And because of that, he redeems us and purchase our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That is grace. Grace does not take the place of the commandments, does not take the place of the statutes. It does not take the place of many other things that Christ said or that God said that we must keep or that we must obey. But the added law of Moses became the burden of Christ, and Christ became that sacrifice, that feast, those ordinances, and when he died on the cross, that vanished because he nailed it to the cross, and uh, it became grace. So now if we transgress one of those commandments, we go to God in prayer, and we repent and grace is extended, or in other words, the uh, uh, immutable uh, grace is extended to us, a grant of immunity from transgression of the law that we had transgressed. Hopefully, the Lord will bless this to your hearts, is my prayer. May God bless you.